His sword was hung over the mantelpiece. His coat of mail was arranged on a stand in the hall until he lent it to a museum. His gold and silver was largely spent on presents, both useful and extravagant, which to a certain extent accounts for the affection of his nephews and nieces. His magic ring he kept a great secret, for he chiefly used it when unpleasant callers came. The Hobbit. Chapter 19. The Last Stage. and Madeline, and welcome back to Interesting Tales from Tolkien, a pod mood. I'm Mel. And I'm Kristen. And this week, we are reading the final chapter of The Hobbit, The Last Stage. I can't believe we're finished, Mel. <laughs> what a fun journey. Yeah, we made it. We got to the end. <laughs> we got to the end. I didn't scare you and away. I, no, not at all. I, I'm, I knew I would be just as nerdy and fantastically focused on this fandom as I am about all the other ones that I follow. So I, I'm i really, really glad to be in this fandom now. Okay, Mel, you've got 30 seconds. Catch our audience up on where we are so far. So far, we're at the end. <clears throat> all right, 30 seconds. So Bilbo Baggins was a hobbit living in the Shire, and he was visited by 13 dwarves and a wizard who said, come on with us on this adventure. So they have been across the land seeing trolls, elves, goblins, and Bilbo got a magical ring. So they finally got to the Lonely Mountain, and some random then just goes and kills their dragon for them, which starts this huge problem, and they're under siege. But just as the siege begins, all these other things turn up, and there's a big battle, but it was all resolved. We lost a few guys along the way, but now Bilbo is headed home with Gandalf, and we'll see what happens next. Not bad at all, Mel. Full marks. So if you can do 18 chapters in 30 seconds, surely I can do the final chapter in 30 seconds. Let's see how that goes. Yep, we have no new characters, so let's just jump right in. Your time starts now. We are almost at the end. We are bunking again with Elrond, and there's lots of elvish partying, frat boys of Middle-earth going on. But finally, we get to head for home. We do find out that Gandalf was off defeating the necromancer. And as we're going back towards the Shire, Bilbo is remembering all the great adventures that they've had over the last year. They get home and the hobbits think Bilbo is dead and they've been selling off his stuff and they don't believe he's actually alive. So Bilbo has to buy it all back and then they're home free. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> I am not getting any better at this, but we'll keep practicing. <laughs> I do like that. Like I've got like my start packed down. I know what I say at the beginning and then like it just goes into utter chaos by the end where I'm like, and then these other guys turned up. We won't worry about that. We lost some people. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I thought poor Thorin. We lost some people along the way. <laughs> yeah, we sure did. We sure <laughs> did. <laughs> Are you ready to dive into this chapter and break it down Let's a little? Let's dive in. It, it really is. And they all live happily ever after. But we have to have just a little bit more drama first before we can sit on the porch and do smoke rings again. So we're told that it's the 1st of May when Bilbo and Gandalf return to the last homely house. And I love it, it says, where stood the last or the first homely house? Well, I guess it depends on which direction you're facing. Are you facing towards the adventure or are you coming home from the adventure? Exactly. It's all a matter of perspective. And their ponies are tired. 
Thankfully, we do not have to do another RIP ponies moment. Can we please not do any more RIP moments? I definitely cannot guarantee that going into the future, but I, oh, I suppose we, we do have one in this chapter that we'll cover in a little we, bit. We do. I put it there, yeah. but it's not for ponies. It's not for ponies. So save the ponies. Just like last time, the elves have a song ready for their arrival. Okay, so this song is really fun. And we did have a listener request more singing. So I'm sorry for any of you who are not interested in hearing me and Mel sing, but this one's for Lincoln. This poem has six syllables per line. So basically what we're talking about is a tune that goes one and a two and a one and a two or one, two, three, four, five, six, something like that. That's basically where we're going to start. So the dragon is withered. His bones, bones are, are now crumbled. crumbled. His the armor is shivered. His, his splendor is humbled. Though, <laughs> though, sh- though sword shall be rusted and thrown and cram perish with strength that men trusted and wealth that they cherished. Here grass is still growing and leaves are yet swinging, the white water flowing and elves are let singing. Tra-la-la-la-la, tra-la-la-la-la, come back to the valley, come back to the valley. That's terrible singing. But- That's okay, but I'm actually wondering, was it meant to actually rhyme? So come tra la la Come back to the valley. Ah, quite possibly. I think we've burned everyone's ears enough. Thank you. And uh, if you hated that, please at Lincoln on Twitter. (laughs) Or in the Discord. Just go at him. It's his fault. (laughs) Don't blame us. We are but mere servants of our listeners. And so Elrond puts them up in his house again because he's nice that way. Okay, so I had a question. So it says here, then the elves of the valley came out. So I'm assuming that's Elrond's people. So yep. are the elves of the valley different from the elves of the Lake Town area? Or the yep. what, what are those called? Okay, so so are they are they allies? Are they brothers? Are they descended from the same people? Are they t- like what's this? And and okay, you are the master of the elves. So tell me all the things. You want to deep dive this? <laughs> Oh, sure. If it's terrible, you can edit it out later. So, I mean, it's pretty clear that Elrond is the master of the Valley Elves, the Valley Girls, as it were. And then Thranduil is the master of the Woodland Elves. Is that what you call them? Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So we're going to deep dive this question that Kristen's just given me. Uh, There will be all of this information on our website, which I'll link in the show notes for this episode. So the Tree, well, family tree, for lack of a better word, we are looking at, Kristen, is titled Quendi. So Quendi means the elves. So all elves are Quendi. That's, Quendi is elvish for elves. Make sense? I love this. Okay. <laughs> yes. It okay. Does. So when the elves were awoken, they all lived together on this inland sea, we won't get too deep into it. We'll really cover it in depth in the Silmarillion, but they all lived at the edge of this inland sea until the Valar, which are like gods, said to them, come with us, we are going to take you to a place called Amman. So you can see underneath there's Amman. Um, all went to Amman, all went to Amman, those that went to Amman, a few layers down. Yes. You see that? Yeah. Okay, so this is the first fracturing of the elves. You have the Elder. They are all the elves who began the great journey. 
and the Avari. The Avari are the elves who didn't go. So okay. forget about them for now. So then from the Eldar, we have the Vanya, the Noldor, and the Teleri. Okay? Okay. As you can see, forget about the Vanya. Yes. They went to Amman and they never came back. Okay. So then we have the Noldor. So they all went to Amman and some came back to Middle-earth. For the record, Elrond is considered, even though he has blood of all different clans, he is considered a Noldor. Okay. All right. So then we get to the most interesting group, which is the Teleri. So some of them went to Amman. Some of them remained in a land called Beleriand, which no longer exists, and they became the Sindar. And some others started the march but didn't make it past the Misty Mountains. So they are the Nandor. Okay, so is okay. that the Thranduil group? Okay, so that are, that are in the woods. Yes, but Thranduil is not a Nandor. Is the thing okay. to remember. So the Nandor stayed and lived, and they're often referred to as the Sylvan Elves. So they stayed in Mirkwood, which was not called that at the time. The Sindar Elves, which is what Thranduil is, him and his dad and a bunch of them came over the Misty Mountains after a lot of unpleasantness and were like, we're going to start over away from the Noldor. We don't like the Noldor. So they had stayed in Middle-earth. They never went to Amman, where the Noldor had gone gone to and come back from. They said, we don't like the Noldor. We want nothing to do with them. We're going to go and live in the east and hang out with the Sylvan Elves, who are very, they live simply, they live in the forests. It's great. This is where we're going to live. So that's, Thranduil is king of, he, it's not an invasion, but I think it's kind of weird, you know, for, he's technically a foreign king, but they. It's like an immigration kind of thing? Yeah, immigration. So, yes. So Thranduil is a Sindar elf and he rules over a group of Nandor, which we will uh, refer to as Sylvan for the most part. Uh, Elrond is a Noldor even though he has blood of lots of different elves, he is a Noldor, and his people are probably some Sindar, and there are also other Noldor elves. Make sense? <laughs> yes, I do I do mostly get what you've said, and, I mean, this diagram is awesome. So I look forward to, you know, whatever, 10 years from now, whenever we get to Silmarillion. <laughs> no, it won't be that long. But I, I look forward to reading some more. And so Sindarin, that's the language you've been teaching me, right? Correct. Excellent. Okay, that's good. Okay, so I'm making connections. This is good progress. We'll get into why that is the language of choice later, because there are other Elvish languages. But Sweet. That's, that's okay, a conversation well, for another day. That. <laughs> Mel's deep dive is now complete. So the elves of the valley came out and greeted them. And I love this, that Bilbo is perfectly happy to let Gandalf tell the story because he already knows the story because he was in it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's like, yeah, no, I, I don't need to have any more glory. Thank you very much. I've had much too much adventure. My tookishness is done and over. I am going to have a nice nap. Yep. And that's what he does. Though he is awake long enough to hear that the reason Gandalf had left the company was because he had gone to a great council of white wizards and they had decided to drive the necromancer out of his hold in South Mirkwood, which is something you kept wondering about the necromancer. Well, and 
And I'm still wondering because we don't really know anything yet. We keep having these mentions of the necromancer and no story. So come on with the story already, Tolkien. <laughs> and well, Gandalf says that the forest is going to grow back and the north is going to be free from the horrors. But he really hopes that one day they'll be able to banish the necromancer from the world once and for all, which Elrond pretty much laments and says, I fear that will not come in this age of the world or for many thereafter. So my question is, so they they routed him out of wherever he was. Well, where is he now? Is he like on the move? Are we going to run into this necromancer again? Is he like the wargs where he just sort of roams around until somebody disturbs him? And that doesn't sound good. Who knows? I guess we'll have to keep reading the series and see what happens next. It's your go-to response, Mel. Just read the books. You'll find out. Yep, that's what I'm here for. (laughs) And then we get another song. Bilbo wakes up. And he's in a beautiful white bed and the moon is shining through the window and the elves are singing. And now we have a 12 syllable song. So 12 syllable per line. So an example of a 12 syllable song that we all know and love and it's Christmas time is is just passed here by the time you listen to this. So a really nice 12 syllable song is what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping. That's like a 12 syllable song. So we could do this. Sing all ye joyful now sing all together the winds in the tree top the winds in the heather. It's not great, but it does work. Like the, the syllables and the number of notes line up. Good work. I'm not even going to try. That one. That one's beyond me. <laughs> Blame Lincoln. <laughs> and the singing wakes Bilbo up and he goes, your lullaby would waken a drunken goblin. Yes, I thank you. To which these elves respond, and your snores would waken a stone dragon. Yet we thank you. <laughs> and I love this, that... As much rest as he's already gotten with Elrond, he's ready for a second good night. So we have second breakfast, and now we have second bedtime. I am here for this. <laughs> yes, he says, a little sleep does a great cure in the house of Elrond, but I will take all the cure I can get. <laughs> I just think that's such a great line, and we find out that not only did he go and fall asleep early, he stayed asleep until quite late in the morning. You go, Bilbo. Live yourself your best life. I would too. It sounds like a really peaceful place to just chill for a bit. And they do. And and after all these days and nights of marching and sieging and burglaring and not enough eating, except for cram, I think that Bilbo is due. He is due some partying and due some really long napping. But after a week, he says goodbye because he really wants to get back to the Shire. And I love that Bilbo just keeps giving people things. So he he says farewell to Elrond and giving him such small gifts as he would accept, he rode away with Gandalf. Bilbo really is a simple creature. Like he needs his home and his chair and his pipe. And, and that's really it. And I mean, we're going to come upon later where he gets the gold and he's even trying to give away all the gold too. He's like, I don't need, I, 
I don't need the 14th share of the treasure in the last chapter. And I, I just need my small little comfortable life. And they ride on for some time and we kind of revisit some of the places. We stop by where Tom and Bert and Bill were and they dig up the treasure that had been buried there, which Bilbo rejects. He says, you had better take this, Gandalf. I dare say you can find a use for it. And then Gandalf says, you may find you have more needs than you expect, which is clearly what's going to happen when they get back to the Shire. And Bilbo's going to need all that gold to buy back his stuff. So they pile up the gold onto the ponies and continue on on their journey. And we find out that Bilbo has a handkerchief. But it's not one of his, for not a single one of his own had survived. And this one was a gift from Elrond. R.I.P. handkerchiefs. Although he said borrowed, so he must intend to return it at some point. And so we have another song, Kristen. Yeah, I I don't think we need to sing yet a third song. It's fine. Um, People would know the tune for this one, as this one has been reproduced. So there we go. We won't won't (laughs) mess with what's not broken. And finally, they get to... get to the parting of Bilbo and Gandalf, and Gandalf says to him, My dear Bilbo, something is the matter with you. You are not the hobbit that you were. Well, I actually think this is beautiful. I mean, Gandalf may say there's something the matter with Bilbo, but how could you go through 18 chapters of this book and a full year of adventure? How could anyone go through a full year of adventure? And be the exact same creature that they were when they started. Exactly. And especially such an adventure as this one. It was not exactly an easy adventure. There was no step of the way that was easy or even predictable. I mean, it took us the entire book to have a plan to kill the dragon. And then some, like, as I loved it, you said in your summary, some rando kills the dragon. Who was that guy? He wasn't in the book. We didn't follow him for I know, really. So many chapters. Like how does how does he get to kill the dragon? <laughs> and so Bilbo and Gandalf part ways and Bilbo heads on on home, but things aren't exactly as he left it. There were people coming in and out of Bilbo's house, not even wiping their feet on the mat. Yeah, it turns out that the Shire presumed him dead and are auctioning off all his belongings just on the day he comes home. And not everybody that said he was presumed dead was sorry to find the presumption wrong. I'm sorry. All you hobbits that are more interested in Bilbo's stuff than Bilbo, you all can just jump off the edge of that cliff there. including his cousins, the Sackville Bagginses, who were, in fact, busy measuring his rooms to see if their own furniture would fit there. So they've sold off all of Bilbo's furniture and they're going to bring in other furniture. Just get out of here. (laughs) Don't even talk to me about that. Although, don't we all have one of those cousins somewhere? Yeah, we've all got relatives. Any of my cousins that are listening, I'm not talking about you. (laughs) It's the other ones that aren't listening. We all have that family member, right? Who who we're just sure is going to sell us out? Yeah, poor Bilbo. It says, The return of Mr. Bilbo Baggins created quite a disturbance, both under the hill and over the hill and across the water. And the legal bother indeed lasted for years. It was quite a long time before Mr. Baggins was in fact admitted to be alive again. 
I laughed so hard when I read this. I thought, oh, poor Bilbo. That is the last thing he needs is a bunch of court battles because we all know just how well Bilbo deals with conflict. (laughs) And he ends up, to save himself hassle, buying back a lot of his furniture. but Except for the spoons. Yeah, but some things, (laughs) such as his silver spoons, mysteriously disappeared. Personally, he suspected the Sackville Bagginses. And the Sackville Bagginses never admitted that he was the genuine Bilbo Baggins. And they weren't on friendly terms with Bilbo after that either. Nope. That lasted forever because he dared to be alive. (laughs) That Bilbo. And we find out that Bilbo had lost more than spoons. He had lost his reputation. Okay, this made me really sad. And it it sort of reminds me of like you can't – it's very hard to be a hero in your hometown and that so often heroes go off and they do these incredible adventures and then they come home and – Nobody really understands them. And, and and this has happened to Bilbo. And he's he remains an elf friend and has the honors of dwarves and wizards and all these other folk. But the hobbits look at him as queer. And so in his in his own home, which is really where he's wanted to be this whole time, he didn't even want this adventure to start with. And so now he's even in his own home, he's not really able to be himself anymore. It says that he did have a good friendship with his nieces and nephews on the Took side, but even they were not encouraged in friendship by their elders. And in the next paragraph, it talks about that his gold and silver were mostly used to buy them presents, and that could have been a reason why they thought so fondly of their uncle. And I just thought, well... Again, you you all just go, there's a cliff, go jump over it if you're... (laughs) And we find out what happens to certain bits and pieces. So he hangs his sword over the mantelpiece and he has his coat of mail on a stand in the hall until he gives it to a museum. But his magic ring, he kept a great secret for he chiefly used it when unpleasant callers came. (laughs) I can so see this. Oh my goodness, here's Gandalf and another group of dwarves. I think I'm going to go invisible. (laughs) Or maybe do they do they have like religious proselytizers in Middle Earth? So somebody comes knocking on the door. Can I tell you the story of Eru? Is that his name? That's the name of God in this world. Okay, can I tell you about the son of Eru? <laughs> and he goes on to write poetry and he goes to visit the elves. And it says, while many shook their head and said, poor old Baggins, and few believed his tales, he remained very happy to the end of his days. And those were extraordinarily long. And then he starts to write his memoirs, which I love. And so, you know, is that kind, that's kind of what this book is in some ways, because it's all told through Bilbo's perspective. For the most part, it's told through his perspective. And anything that's not is information he could have gained. And he names this memoir There and Back Again, A Hobbit's Holiday. And if you recall, on the back of your book is a blurb. And it says to whisk him away on a journey, there and back again. Yep. Well, is it, and that's the name of one of the chapters too, right? No. Or no, is this the subtitle of the book? It's the subtitle of the book. Okay, that's what it is. Yeah. 
Well, and a Hobbit's holiday, really? A, ho- a year-long holiday? I don't think that's at all what Bilbo would consider a holiday. I, I don't think that was a holiday, no. No, it was way too much work and way too much drama and not nearly enough eating. <laughs> but then there's a knock on the door and we have some visitors. It's Gandalf and a dwarf. And I, I read this and I thought, oh, my gravy, they are not going to take Bilbo off. And that's not going to be the end of the book. And it's not. Whew. But we find out that throughout the rest of Middle Earth, things are going amazingly well, too. Bard has rebuilt the town in Dale and the men are thriving. Lake Town was refounded, more prosperous than ever. The elves are doing well. And really, the the only piece of that part of the geography that isn't going well is the old master had gotten dragon sickness from getting too close to that much gold and had just gone out on his own in the wilderness and tried to eat the gold or something. (laughs) (laughs) Died of starvation in the waste, deserted by his companions. And the new master is getting all the credit for the success of Lake Town's rebirth. And we get some of our final lines in the book, which is Gandalf saying, surely you don't disbelieve the prophecies because you had a hand in bringing them about yourself. I loved that. Yeah, he says, you don't really suppose, do you, that all your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck just for your sole benefit? You are a very fine person, Mr. Baggins, and I'm very fond of you, but you are only quite a little fellow in a wide world after all. Which I love this part, reminding us, because yes, we were joking about Bard being some random. We've got to remember our character is only one part of a more expansive world. So it's not all Bilbo, it's other people too. And Bilbo's response is, thank goodness, hands him the tobacco jar and it is time for some smoke rings. Some well-deserved smoke rings. (laughs) And that's the end of our book. Yay! Oh, Mel, I'm so glad that on that random episode of your chosen podcast about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that you had this random sentence that said, what if we could find a newbie to the Tolkien universe? And I'm so glad that you said that and that I thought to pick up my phone and shoot you a quick email and been like, well, I've never read these things (laughs) because this has really been a lot of fun. And we've only just begun. This is the smallest book, and like by a long shot. So I have my other books right here. They're all ready. <laughs> my Fellowship of the Ring is already very tabbed and scribbled in, but we're not up to that yet. Shall we do a character shout-out? Do we want to make it for the chapter or for the book? Well, maybe both. Let's do let's two do, different okay. ones. So let's do the chapter first. So my character shout out for this chapter is Elrond because Elrond is to me the end of the adventure here. He was the beginning where they took a short rest and they they got all provisioned up for the beginning of the journey and Elrond is now the place where we get to decompress, have some nice meals and rest and, and also catch up on any of the parts of the adventure that Bilbo didn't personally witness. And when it's time to leave Elrond, that really feels like the end of the adventure. And I mean, of course, yes, we have the bits in the Shire with the 
attempting to sell off <laughs> the presumed dead Bilba's stuff. But but even that, like, that seems like a very, a very minor point. And, and Elrond is really the kind of the key to the, the solid, healthy end of this adventure. So I'm going to give my chapter shout out to Elrond. What about you? I'm giving mine to Gandalf for guiding Bilbo safely home. So he's had the adventure that Gandalf really dragged him on. And Gandalf's keeping his peace and making sure he returns home safely at the end of it all and drops him off and then even comes back and visits a few years later just to check in. Well, and that's actually, that's why I was going to give my book shout out to Gandalf. Now, I know the book's called The Hobbit. I know. But without Gandalf recognizing that this adventure needed to happen in the first place and putting together the Mary 14 and randomly showing back up at any time that the adventure is not going the way it's supposed to go and magically moving things along, including at the very end with the thrush and the Arkenstone in the box and all that. Like without Gandalf, none of this happens. It, no one even has the idea. No one gets together. And anything that could have possibly been attempted without Gandalf would have failed at any of these points. So without without Gandalf's idea and magically making sure it all happens, there is no adventure or it dies on the vine somewhere along the way. That is a very good shout out. And I'm going to first, before I give my book shout out, I'm going to give an acknowledgement to Bilbo because it is his story and he is wonderful and amazing. But I think we all know that. We all know that and we need to look deeper at other characters that are involved. So I'm giving mine to Thorin. And the reason I'm giving it to Thorin is, and this is with the knowledge of having read the greater texts and everything, he was searching for his home. He was trying to win back something that was taken from his people in the hope of bettering them. And he stumbled along the way quite badly, but his intentions were good. And at the end of the day, he was still a hero. He charged out of the mountain and led the dwarves into battle to try and win it. It wasn't successful and like on his part, but he was a true leader, just misguided and lost at times. So I'm giving it to Thorin. Well, that's a very good point, Mel. And even though Thorin himself did not survive the battle, and we actually talked about that in a previous chapter, that any of the dwarves could have been vulnerable in this battle, and that Thorin himself really made the ultimate sacrifice. His leadership of the Mary 14 and his contact with Dane and the other dwarves really ensured that the unification of the dwarves, elves, and men were the victorious army at the end. You're, you're totally right. I guess since we don't have any predictions, as we're saving our predictions for going forward for our wrap-up episode, do we want to quickly look at a few emails and messages we've been sent? We have been holding off on dialoguing with our community on the podcast, but we have been receiving a variety of tweets and emails and messages in our discord feed and a lot of other interactions from fans. And we so appreciate that you all are listening and that you have thoughts and questions for us. We are always available via email podmoot at gmail.com. You can also tweet us or if you want access to our discord feed, again, send us an email and we will hook you up. 
And you'll want to be there because coming up, we're going to be watching the movies and we're going to do some live chatting in our Discord feed while we do that. Mel can talk about that in in our next episode. But um, we, we want to be in touch with you because, I mean, as much fun as Mel and I are having just talking, the two of us, we're really doing this for all of you to join with us. So we want to hear your thoughts. And whether you're a newbie like me or you're a longtime fan like Mel, you know, we, we love to hear what you think and want us to be talking about as well. So what, what do we got here, Mel? What do people want to talk to us about? All right. So I'm first going to jump into our Discord where Caro let us know that she stumbled across the word Atacop and that it meant spider. And it turns out it's actually from, I didn't cover this in our little conversation that we had, that it actually means poison. Now, this came about just because of how I ended up editing an episode. What happened, and I'll stick a bit of audio in here, was I said the word, Kristen goes, doesn't mean anything. And I just went, no, it's fine. Let's move on. Because I knew it meant spider. And I probably should have thought that out more. Anyways, a little bit later, Kristen's like, no, you need to tell me, does it mean something? I'm really, I'm really sure. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to Google it and check. So I Google it. I'm like, it means spider. To which I'm pretty sure you responded, oh, okay, move on. Or something like that. <laughs> so, I should have just listened to you. But but actually, it is a pretty interesting, the etymology of it is really interesting. Totally yeah, the whole Adder Cop thing. Are you sure there's nothing about that? That's not uh, a thing? It just means spider. Mm. All right. Yeah. Um, why does a spider say at a cop? The name was given to spiders in the mistaken belief that they were poisonous to humans. By the 16th century, it began to be applied across to a cross-grained, ill-natured, figuratively venomous person. Yeah, that's boring AF. Don't put that in there. <laughs> Mm. So thanks so for sending thank you, that Carol, for that. <laughs> uh, next, we'll jump into emails. We've got an email from Elizabeth, and she says, Hello, Mel and Kristen. I'm really interested in hearing y'all's take. I feel like you should be reading this email just so you get the Texan accent right. But y'all's take on dragons of Middle-earth. Are they enchanted creatures? Do they taint or infect the gold the longer they hoard it? How do you explain Thorin displaying the same hoarding tendencies as Smaug? Well, this is interesting. Obviously, I only have the perspective of these 19 chapters. So I'll go first. And then Mel, you can add anything that I don't know about yet. I think all dragons are enchanted creatures, I or enchanting creatures, they have magical powers, they are not mere beasts. And I can't think of a story of any fandom where a dragon is involved and is just a creature. So besides just the fire breathing capabilities, which that enough would be scary. I think the idea of hoarding treasure is also about power. And the power of treasure, clearly, humans throughout history have equated gold and jewels and objects that are made of fine metals and jewelry, they have placed a high value on those. And the our currency is still rooted in fine metals. And so the idea that dragons would hoard that I think also has to do with that's a way to 
control men is by having a bunch of this stuff that men value. So when Thorin starts hoarding it, again, I think it's more, it's not so much about the treasures themselves, although they are beautiful. And some of them did belong to the dwarves before. And so there's also the the nostalgia and the history of that. But I think it's more about what those treasures represent, how much power they represent and how, how much, okay, I have this treasure and it's worth fill in the blank amount of, of wealth. It, it is the, the most wealthy thing that we can imagine are these um, metals and jewels. Now, in terms of enchanting the gold itself, I think it's really the other way around. I think it's the innate wealth or the value that we tend to place on those types of objects that then infects the humans or infects the dragon even. And that maybe Tolkien calls it dragon sickness, but I think it would be better labeled as power sickness or wealth sickness or the idea of I have this stuff now, I have all this value. If any of that leaves, then a piece of me is going to go with it. So I think it's when we start to, I say we, when any creature starts to identify our worth or our wealth with an object, well, then it's it's almost impossible for us to let go. So that that's my take on dragons or wealth in general. Mel, what, what do you think? I really like your take on it. I think that was really deep and well thought out. So breaking down the question, yes, I think they're enchanted creatures. Pretty much what Kristen said on that front or enchanting Great word. Here, the thing is they, in Tolkien's world at least, and I think what Kristen said isn't untrue as more of a what it symbolizes, having great wealth breeds a sickness of greed and not wanting to lose it. And that's what I think has been symbolized. But in Tolkien's world, dragon sickness is a real thing in which treasure is tainted by their presence and it is actually specifically said twice in the book so part of it was he did not reckon with the power that gold has upon which a dragon has long brooded nor with dwarvish hearts this was chapter 15 the gathering of the clouds where bilbo is seeing thorin becoming more and more enamored with the treasure and it's taking over his personality and in this sense though i think it's kind of two-pronged There is the dragon sickness, so he has tainted the gold that he has laid upon, but also we're contending with dwarves who are different to men, dwarves who have a love of treasure and everything, and that is being amplified by this infected treasure. And the other reference we have is actually in this final chapter, and it says, But being of the kind that easily catches such disease, he fell under the dragon sickness. And we have to remember that the gold that was given to Lake Town came out of the mountain. It's that same gold on which Smaug laid upon for such a long time and tainted. And so I think this gold in particular is more likely to make someone greedy and irrational when dealing with it. So do you think because Lake Town was rebuilt with this dragon-tainted gold, do you think that that infection at the source then, shall we say, or at the rebirth, do you think that that plays a role in the 
let's say the future history of of the newly rebuilt Lake Town. Does are, you, that... are, are you trying to dig for information about the sequels? Is that is that what this is? You're trying, oh, is this you're in trying... the sequels? I don't know. Is it? Are we going to go back I, to Lake I, Town? I don't know. I'm asking you about the gold and Lake Town. I have well, no idea if it shows up again. I, without revealing anything I may or may not know about future events, I do not think it would play a role purely for the fact that it depends. If it's just been exchanged and used as it's supposed to, like currency, I don't think the because I paid the builder with some of the enchanted gold that now my house is haunted by a dragon ghost or something or that I'm going to catch dragon sickness from that. I think it comes in the case of the master. It says that Bard had given him much of the gold, so he had it in his ah. possession. It was in his possession when it infected him a large quantity. It wasn't just a few coins, and that also goes to with the personality of the master because it says being of the kind that easily catches such diseases. So he had a predisposition, like Thorin would as a dwarf, to getting that, while somebody like Bard, for example, who is more upheld as noble and brave and generous and giving – can more easily part with it. And it seems to be the same with Bilbo. He can quite easily part with the treasure he's been given. And he's just giving it away easily. Interesting. Okay. So Carol also asks about bonus episodes and in particular outtakes. And I can promise our audience that we have been keeping track of some of our more epic outtakes and stay tuned I can promise there's one involving a Harley and there are many involving Mel's variety of sounds that she makes when something other than an English word comes out of her mouth. None of those sounds ever make it to a real episode. (laughs) But we have a whole bevy of them in the backlog just waiting for you all. But that brings us to the end, Kristen. We have successfully completed The Hobbit. Yay! So your homework is to review the assigned reading in preparation for our big book wrap-up episode next week. So we're going to talk about the entire book, our thoughts, highlights, and this is a really good time if you want to write in or tweet us or, or whatever. This is a really good time for additional thoughts, anything we haven't yet covered because we would love to include some more community dialogue in our wrap-up episode. And then after this episode, we will be tackling the Peter Jackson Hobbit movies. So those as well. Any thoughts about the movie adaptations will be coming up in future episodes. Thanks for joining us. If you want to find us on social media, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Podmoot. Our email address is podmood at gmail.com and our website is podmood.com. If you'd like to contact me personally, I'm at Mel Bickett on Twitter and Instagram. Kristen, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Kristen Conducts. Norvera Mellon, until we meet again. Bye, y'all.